You're listening to The Subjective Truth. Written and produced by Jeremy Ellett. Starring Addison Peacock as Graham Anderson. The Subjective Truth is a work of serialized fiction. If this is your first time listening to The Subjective Truth, please start with episode one. As I prepped my recording equipment, Jerry paced around the sparsely furnished room, unsure of what to do with himself in such an uncomfortable situation. When Jerry does finally sit, he still doesn't allow himself to relax. His eyes are heavy and tired, but his right leg shakes nervously throughout our talk. Do you mind if I start recording? You're probably already recording, so why did you even ask? I just want to be sure I have your permission. I'll do anything I need to do to help bring my son home. Right. Well, I'll be honest with you, Jerry. I was surprised when I saw your call. After our first conversation, I was convinced you hated me. No, I don't hate you, Graham. I can't say that I know you well enough to hate you yet. But I'm only doing this for my son, just to be clear. Let's get to it, then. That's a nice little stack of index cards. Are those the questions you've come to ask me? Actually, yeah. They are. Hit me with them. Let's get this over with. What was Buddha like as a teenager? Did you two get along? Don't, don't waste my time. A question like that, you, you, you know what the answer is going to be. You can pretty much script my response. Rebellious, good-hearted kid, all that shit. If you want to talk, I'll talk. Don't waste my time trying to get me all nostalgic about the good old days. That doesn't help anyone. Well, tell you what, I'll just skip the warm-up questions. Skip to the end. Past the end, actually. Skip to your ride home tonight. What's the question that's still going to be burning in you? The one you'll repeat over and over silently in your mind. The one you're scared to ask right now. Why did you tell Buddha he was adopted? Fuck you. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I asked you to do it, and, and, and you're right. Fucking hell. I, I guess Amy told you, huh? That makes sense. A few weeks before, it, it happened. Before Buddha disappeared. He was over here helping me with some home improvement projects I had going on. We were laying sod in the backyard, and... He was telling me about how he and Amy decided to start trying to have a kid. I... We never planned on telling him. Beth and I decided everything would be easier if Buddha never knew he was adopted. He looked enough like each of our families. There was never really any question or suspicion. But for some reason that day, I I decided my son had the right to know. So I told him. How did he take it? I think you already know the answer to that. He was visibly upset, but I understood why. He felt he had been lied to his entire life. Do you regret telling him? Or do you feel relieved to have let the truth out, so to speak? My only regret is not being honest with him from the start. It had been weighing on me for a while. Beth Beth was furious, though. And she had good right to be. I should have talked to her before saying anything to him. It should have been a choice that we made together. Not something to just blurt out on the way home from Lowe's. I drove an unnecessary wedge between me and Beth, and 
All the stress of trying to find Buddha didn't, uh, didn't exactly bring us back together. When did you... Move out? Split up? Yeah. It wasn't too long after we got back from New Mexico. I think the last big fight was about money. Beth trusted every person who said they could help. She blew through half our life savings before the end of the year. $1,500 on telephone psychics, $500 on tarot card readings, a couple grand on different private investigators. Exploited of shit like that. But the one that I still remember, if it was too ridiculous to forget, $2,789.12 to something called Third Eye Industries for a nine-hour psychic remote viewing session. Can you imagine? 300 bucks an hour to pretend to go places in your mind. Shit, I got into the wrong line of work. As much as I pointed the finger at Beth, we've, uh, we've all got our own vices to drown in. I had been doing a good job of floating above mine. I hadn't had a drink since 1999, and that first night after we came back from New Mexico, I, I picked up a 40 ounce of Mickey's. It's true what they say. Taking just one drink is like stepping on a trap door. And I, I fell right back in. Everyone knows when the liquor store closes, but I knew when it opened. May not seem like much, but there's a hell of a difference between the two. Started hiding a bottle in a locked drawer in my desk at work. I, I knew I'd get caught. And deep down, I, I think I wanted to. I wanted another reason to completely let myself fall apart. One drink, and it's tomorrow. Two drinks, and it's June. Three drinks, and it's Christmas. Next thing I know, I was moving out and living in a shithole apartment across town. But I'm proud to say that I'm four months sober last Friday. Celebrated with a cheesecake. Congratulations. Really. Not that it matters now. My son is gone. I'm well past my second and third chance with Beth. This whole sobriety thing, this time it's, it's just for me. And I have to trust that that's going to be enough. Every day is a challenge, and getting through it is something to be proud of. Yeah, so I've heard. One of the things I've been really interested in talking to you about is the Jeep. Buddha's Jeep. It's sitting in my garage right now. I, uh, I still drive it sometimes. Really? I can't believe it still runs. I've never had much trouble with it since I got it back, outside of a funky blinker. But that's uh, common with this model. Would you mind if I... Do I go take a look at it? Yeah, we can do that. she is, in all her beauty. Can I take a look inside? Be my guest. Doubt you'll find anything, though. Jerry steps toward the Jeep, running his hand along the hood. Holy shit. What in the hell is that thing? It's a Geiger counter. It's used to detect radioactive emissions. 
gamma rays. Radiation. Yes. And it's displaying some significantly high readings. Hmm. Where'd you get that thing? eBay? Amazon, actually. Right. That's what I thought. I think you got what you needed. Let's, uh, let's go back inside. I'd like to show you the trophy room. Regardless of where you stand on certain aspects of Amy's claims, one thing that's hard to debunk or rationalize is the Jeep. He looks so young here. Yeah, that's uh, 1998, so that's probably still T-ball at that time. Hard to get all those kids to stay still for the team picture. You see that little gold medal right there? Eighth grade spelling champ. This room is about more than just sports, you know. I was proud of everything he did. Up there on the wall is his first guitar. While most kids were trying to play Green Day, Buddha was sitting in his room learning Hall & Oates. Which song? Maneater. <laughs> Jerry, thanks for having me over. I really appreciate it. You know, Graham, I uh, used to think you were a total piece of shit. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> Sounds like a compliment to me. If you think of anything else you'd like to share, or anything you think might help... I've got your number. Right. You've got my number. This is the subjective truth. Stay with us. This episode of The Subjective Truth is brought to you by ours. We all want the same thing. We want to eat delicious, healthy foods and leave a minimum carbon footprint. Here at Arts Butchery, the first and still the greatest artificial meat subscription service in the United States, that's always been our mission. And we just want to assure you, that mission isn't changing, it's just evolving. Now, coming to a city near you, Arts Rib House. All of your favorite recipes prepared by professional chefs in a relaxed 1950s style diner experience. Try our Wagyu burger, the great white shark taco, the I can't believe it's not chicken, chicken fried chicken sandwich, or my personal favorite, blue whale stew. Arch Butchery gives you all the meat you'll ever need and without any of the guilt or impact to the environment. Visit our website to view different packages available to members. And if you're close enough to visit an Arts Rib House location, come see us. We'd love to feed you. Arts Rib House. Eat it, sucker! Buddha's eighth grade spelling gold medal was quite impressive. <laughs> oh my god, Jerry showed you too? Yeah. Oh, that used to embarrass Buddha so much. I remember the first time I came by the house to meet them. Jerry took me on a tour and showed me the Hall of Buddha. This, of course, was when he was still living with Beth before the split. But anyways, when Jerry was showing it off, the spelling medal, he asked Buddha to spell the winning word again. And Buddha refused. It led to this whole 
this whole thing. I mean, it got really awkward and intense for a while, but then ended with Buddha yell spelling it back to Jerry across the dinner table. Do you remember what the word was? Ambidextrous. I'll never forget it. <laughs> mm. Oh, did, uh, did Jerry show you Buddha's guitar? Yeah, that was our next stop on the tour. <laughs> Always is. <laughs> he and Buddha are so alike. So alike. How is your relationship with Jerry? Now or back then? Because now I'm fairly confident he hates me and blames me for his son's disappearance. But back then, when we were all happy-ish, me and Jerry got along pretty well. I was probably closer to him than I was to Beth. He loved inappropriate jokes, and I knew a lot of them. It's funny, but I wasn't even going to be part of the whole podcast thing initially. Not until Jerry gave Buddha shit and said he should put me on the mic if he ever wanted to attract a real audience. Pretty harsh. Why did you and Buddha decide to start a podcast? For the money. Definitely for the money. The fame didn't interest you? Oh, true. The fame. Can't forget about that sweet, sweet fame. <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course, but really, if it wasn't a podcast, it would have been, I don't know, a YouTube series or a self-published novel or a shitty self-portrait oil painting. Buddha always had this creative drive within him, and he could just never stay focused on anything for very long. A few years before the pair launched Armchair Treasure Hunter in 2018, Buddha and Amy attempted their hands at a true crime podcast called Mean Old World. The worst kind of story is a story about yourself, told by someone else. You can't control the narrative. You are what they say you are. You did what they say you did. Chicago, 1946. You're 17. It's summertime. The war is over. The world is finally at peace. And you? You've just committed three horrific murders. Admit it. We know the truth. Tell us why you did it. This is the story of the Lipstick Killer. And this is a mean old world. The podcast lasted a few episodes before Buddha shut down the feed. For Buddha, I think the success wasn't instant enough. For me, eh, I mean, it was fun at first, but there's only so many ways to describe people being shot or stabbed, so we scrapped everything and wanted to start over. Buddha still wanted to do a podcast, but he had a hard time agreeing on what topic. We were close to just moving on entirely. We were making plans to open an Etsy store, actually, for funny mugs. Then one day, Buddha gets off work, and he's all excited, and he pitches me this idea for the Fen treasure angle. It all sort of clicked into place pretty quickly after that. It's weird to say, but I have a similar feeling now about finding Buddha. I feel excited, optimistic even. Is that strange? I wouldn't say that it's strange, but I would caution you to temper your expectations. I don't want to feel like I've come here and filled you with false hope. 
False hope is better than no hope. I just... I know there's only an infinitesimal chance that I ever see him again, but please just let me have this. Okay. Go ahead. Alright, so I listened to the tapes of us in New Mexico a few times to see if, I, I don't know, something would stand out to me that I didn't pick up on before. Any luck? Not really, no, but that did send me down a UFO rabbit hole online. I thought that even with what I told you and what Buddha and I had said on the tapes, we didn't do a great job of describing what we saw that night. So, I started looking for pictures that looked similar. I found three that are really close. Um, there's, there's one on page 179 of a book called Beyond the Phoenix Lights. Um, but the best one to look at if you really want to understand what we saw is a post on Reddit under the title, Mom's boyfriend took this photo of seven lights floating together in Joshua Tree, California. It creeps me out how similar it is. And I'm not saying aliens abducted my husband. What I'm saying is that I did see this thing and I think we should look into it. Maybe there's something there. Email me the pictures and I'll post them on the site. There's always a chance that someone else has seen something similar. You mentioned you also looked into the thing in the cave. That's a whole different story. My creepypasta research had me thinking it was a rake or a full-grown Tover demon or something worse. I, I don't know. I mean, 3 a.m. on the internet is a weird time and place. You can convince yourself of anything. You're not going to tell me the earth is flat, right? Of course not. It's hollowed and filled with Nazis. <laughs> No, but seriously though, after hearing the one caller, Dave, um, Dave from Buffalo, I think was his name, he said it sounded like a bear with mange, so I decided to look into it. I didn't want to believe it at first, but after looking at some pictures and videos of bears with mange, I can say yeah, that's probably what it was, just some sick, scared bear I woke up. Buddha probably never even saw it. So it's not a hide behind? No, <laughs> probably not. I'm a little hesitant to ask you this third one, but I'm interested in seeing where it leads us. You're making me nervous. I saw your post about attempting to jump dimensions. Is this something you're actively trying to do? Yeah, I've been dabbling. Is this about Stephanie Jacobson and what she claims happened to her? Yeah, so I guess that's where it started. But really, it's about what happened to me. Remember, I was in the woods, and then I woke up in that weird hotel. No one can explain that to me. Stephanie and this whole alternate dimension, dimensional jumping thing, it's the closest thing I have to an answer. How's it done? Look, I, I know it's not real, it's just- I did a cursory Google and saw something about a candle and a mirror. Is that right? I'm actually kind of interested. Sort of. Um, the introductory method, if you will, is called the mirrored candle. So obviously you're going to need a mirror and a candle. Got it. The bigger the mirror and the bigger the candle, the better. Got it. You're going to want to try and do this on or as close to 4 a.m. as possible. At different times of the day, it's going to take more to get it done. Like a larger candle and mirror? Exactly. I can tell you're mocking me, so stop it. So, 
the next thing you're going to want to do is turn off all the lights and sounds in the room. Make the area around you as quiet and as dark as possible. Light the candle. Face the mirror. Focus on your own face and try to relax your mind. Hum to yourself. Not a tune, just a constant tone. Like that. How long do I do that for? For as long as it takes. Is it okay to blink? (laughs) Yeah, it's okay to blink. You're not having a staring contest with yourself. You're just trying to connect with your internal essence. My internal essence. Gotcha. And if you're not being a condescending asshole, and you're instead following along with the instructions at home, then at this point, it should start to feel creepy and uneasy while you stare into your own reflection. How do I know when it's done its thing? If your flame still burns, then you're still in your original dimension. You haven't jumped anywhere. But if it goes out suddenly, close your eyes, take in a deep breath, and then reopen them. That's it. To see if it was successful, you're supposed to start looking for signs. Small differences in the new dimension compared to your old one. You mentioned this was the beginner's method. What's the advanced way of going about doing this? It's dangerous and expensive. So I definitely discourage anyone from attempting this at home. Right. Safety first. It's called the DeLuca method. You'll need a copper clawfoot bathtub, a stereo, a few dozen gallons of water, and an amplifying helmet. (sighs) Amplifying helmet? Amy, come on. It sounds dumb, but it's not a joke. I have one. (laughs) Where does one get an amplifying helmet? Did it come with a free pair of x-ray specs? Mock it if you want, but... Sorry. Sorry. I know how I sound. I'll stop being a condescending shithead. (laughs) Promise? I promise. The helmet sits over the crown of your head and down over your eyes. It has these gears over the eyes. Is it metal? Yeah, and it's heavy as fuck. Very uncomfortable, but it's pretty cool. You just put it on, empty your mind, and let yourself drift. Once you do, the gears over your eyes start turning. If you lose focus, they'll immediately stop. It, um, it reminds me of this one time at South by Southwest when Buddha and I did this Domino's pizza-themed video game. We had to wear these small visors over our foreheads and stare at a screen. On the screen was a dividing line in the middle and an image of a pizza. They told us to stare directly at the pizza and focus on nothing but the pizza and the pizza would move left or right depending on whoever maintained better focus. It really worked. Crazy shit. And that was like six years ago. Getting a bit off track. No, no, no. It's all tied in. What I mean is that I think it's working in the same way. But what's the helmet actually supposed to do? Different things for different people. Or different situations. But in this particular scenario, you're supposed to hear a voice. And the voice will tell you a number. What number? Different for each person. But once you know what your number is, the next step is to prep your stereo. You'll need to be able to play a song that emits at 8 hertz. It's like the magic vibration to connect with the universe or something. I believe what Amy's referring to here is the Schumann resonance. 
another name for the electromagnetic frequency of Earth, and supposedly, the human mind. In the theta state, that fuzzy time between lucidity and sleep, the brainwaves of the human mind operate at a frequency of 8 hertz. It shouldn't be too hard to find some music that plays at that frequency. They're all over YouTube now. Find something that's long or looped because you might need it to be playing for a while. Once you have the music going, turn the speakers up to the maximum volume and start filling up the tub. Hot or cold water? Doesn't matter. Your choice. Once the tub is full, climb in and slowly submerge yourself into the water. Take a deep breath. Think of nothing but your number and then lower your head. Once completely under the water, you should begin counting backwards from your number, slowly, on beat, with the passing seconds. If you think of anything else besides your number, you fail and it won't work. If you get out of the water prior to finishing your countdown, you fail and it won't work. If you drown, obviously, you fail and it won't work. But if you're able to finish your countdown with a clear mind, entirely submerged underwater, then you should have, at this point, successfully completed the DeLuca method. I did some research after speaking with Amy, and though I was unable to find any reliable historical reference for the DeLuca method, I was surprised to find that the DeLuca method has been bouncing around pop culture for the last few years. In PJ Riley's 2018 music video for the song, I Will Never Die, the singer appears to be reenacting the DeLuca method, as well as the mirrored candle and the occult game Three Kings. And as recently as this year, in the 2021 movie Two Flat Earthers Kidnap a Freemason, comedians Chris O'Dell and Justin Devlin attempt the DeLuca method during a montage scene. Another thing I found was a website. Lots of testimonials, pull quotes, pictures, and a link to a store where you can buy an amplifying helmet, something called conductive water, and even a custom-made copper clawfoot bathtub. All of your dimensional jumping needs in one place. And with every order over $200, you'll get a free paperback copy of The Center of the Universe by the creator of the site, Sophia DeLuca. My ever quirky father would call these people Goose map salesman. Someone who knows the way and is willing to sell you the map. If you look DeLuca up on YouTube, you'll get gems like these. There are blank pages in unbound books, in empty spaces on library shelves, waiting to be filled with our story. Listen. History is being rewritten. Can you hear it? You and your universe ever-changing, bit by bit. Cells dying to be replaced by new cells, creating an entirely new you and the world around you. Sometimes it slips. Do you feel it? Now. I want you to imagine your perfect self. The one who did all the things you wanted to do. 
The one who always kept in touch. The one who always kept their cool. And I want you to imagine that version of yourself dying suddenly and violently. Now, I want you to imagine the worst version of yourself. The one who did all the things you wanted to do. The one who lashed out. The one who ignored it. And I want you to imagine that version of yourself sobbing, locked away in a dark, empty room all alone, begging for help. Do you want to help them? Do you? Now, I want you to imagine the you version of yourself. The one who did all the things you decided to do. The one who said all those things you said. The one who wasted all that time. And I want you to imagine that version of yourself on fire. decided to take on this project, I knew it would present unique challenges. I knew the facts had been widely distorted, and I knew the emotional bruising hadn't been given enough time to heal. 
but I also knew that cold cases don't get attention unless they get attention. So I'm doing my best to do just that. To bring attention to the disappearance of Buddha Klein, one way or another. But with that being said, there is definitely a wrong way to do it. I know I don't own this story. It's okay if you want to help spread awareness and cover the Buddha Klein disappearance on your true crime comedy and drinking with friends podcast. But if you do, please treat the victims with some respect and get your facts straight. People, as a whole, tend to be on the gullible side. And when presented with information posed as fact from a supposedly reliable source, people will trust that the information is indeed the truth. And there's a good chance they will pass the information they've learned onto someone else, and so on and so on. named H.L. Mencken set out to demonstrate that gullibility. He published a comprehensive history of the bathtub, from its inception to latest innovations, included specific facts, dates, and names. It was very detailed work, and all of it, a complete fabrication. Take my eyes open to force reality. Why can't you just let me eat my weight in glee? I live inside my own world of make-believe Kids screaming in their cradles, profanities Some days I feel skinnier than all the other days Sometimes I can't tell if my body Spreading all around my room My world's so bright It's hard to breathe But that's alright The experiment was, however, a success As many of the bathtub facts stated by Mencken Are still circulated and cited today Over 100 years later Misinformation has a way of sticking around So stop that shit And to whoever's been following me around town Driving the blacked out Cadillac I see you too. I wanna taste your content, hold your breath and feel the tension. Devils hide behind redemption. Honesty is a one-way gate to hell. I wanna taste consumption. It's faster to waste oxygen. Hear the children sing aloud. Music till the wick burns out.
Okay, listen up, kids. It's story time with Derek again. So we recovered the acorn and Anna Dietrich, and overnight, my life changed forever. Literally. The next morning, I was informed that I'd been removed from my civilian duties, which was a non-subtle way of saying that, on the record, I was dead. And they made it clear that the only reason I was still alive was because Anna Dietrich requested it. I guess her having pressed a gun to my head had somehow endeared me to her. She took to calling me Schatz or Liebling. Never my real name. Derek was dead. I was no one from nowhere. I was a 22-year-old former Air Force intelligence officer working in a 12-level underground base with a team of researchers and scientists and a woman who claimed she traveled 23 years through time. Sounds strange, but you'd be surprised what kind of things can be normalized after a few years of working somewhere. So in my office, it was UFOs, monsters, little goblins, and lots of big hairy ape shapeshifters. Bill, one of the guys in creative, had a thing about Bigfoots. Bigfoots? Big feet? How do you say it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, we were just exploring this new technology and having fun with it. We never consider the consequences. The roots of Project Screwdriver can be traced back much further in American history, but it really didn't get started until Anna Dietrich's arrival in 1965. Before she came screaming out of the sky in that metal acorn, we were sitting in a hangar still trying to make a Beechcraft transport plane disappear. Anna's return marked a radical shift in what we were trying to do, and quite possibly what the human race was capable of doing. We started to focus on frequencies, vibrations, the natural hum of the world, if you will. And that really opened up a lot for us. We believed we'd discovered a true balance between biology and technology. Lots of deep pockets were interested in what we could produce for them. Our first test run was in 1966 in our own backyard at Point Pleasant, West Virginia. We thought all about the different possibilities. A meat shower? A plague of cicada? It was like the Wild West or the Old Testament. We could make whatever we wanted. Bill had this thing we thought we'd be able to engineer. He called it a sheep squatch. Old man Levinson, Hilbert, and even a few of the Princeton guys were all in there to hear his pitch. We laughed the poor bastard out of the room. But as we talked about all the ways we'd have made it better, a different monster came into form. It took time to decide on the specifics, but two days after Valentine's Day 1966, the Mothman was born. The Mothman went on to be a success, a huge success, really. But it was not without blowback. We pushed it a bit too far and might have uh, done something we shouldn't have. But no one seemed to care, and we had more funding than we knew what to do with. The powers that be packed up our little operation and moved it out west. To New Mexico. And eventually I made sure Bill got the chance to make his sheep squatch a reality, too. The Subjective Truth is a Good Point podcast, written and produced by Jeremy Ellett. This episode featured performances from Danielle Ellett, Steve McGrath, Jordan Cobb, Mark Cashman, and Addison Peacock as Graham Anderson. Vocal direction by Danielle Ellett. Editing and sound design by Jeremy Ellett. Music by Baggio Alvarado. 
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.